Good evening, everyone. It's time for the Necromaniacs podcast. Uh, tonight, I have uh, our illustrious co-host, Jeff Kashid. <laughs> How's it going, man? Good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I, uh, I sprained my ankle a couple weeks ago, and, um, but now I'm, I'm, I'm okay, and I'm just getting over a, uh, the dreaded summer cold. Ugh, the worst. Yeah, and of well, course. I, of course, I was afraid that uh, you know I had the Delta variant, so I got two COVID tests, and so far I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, you know I've been hearing mixed things about that. I know, um, you know, a couple guys in some bands uh, have tested positive for COVID, even with the vaccine. But you know, there, there, people are saying it's not that bad. It's like a like a summer cold, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, I, I uh, maybe that's what the vaccine does because I I feel pretty fine today, actually. How'd you sprain your ankle? Uh, I was sparring uh, Muay Thai, and uh, mm. and that's how those kinds of things happen sometimes. Yeah, I've been fortunate to never str- sprain or break anything. <laughs> I've hurt myself, my hurt, hurt my back a lot, but I've never, never been. Uh, you know, I did chop the tip of my finger off and had to spend uh, a whole the month of August in a cast. That how was the, fun. How the hell did you do that, man? I was 16, and uh, I still remember like it was yesterday. I was roof riding on the car. I was like, or we were all doing that. We are just being stupid fucking kids. And my turn, I get up, and this girl shuts the door. My finger's in the door, uh, you know, like hanging on. And I pull my finger out, my hand out, and, you know, I, I'm staring down at, like, bone from... Oh, <laughs> you know, man. Just, That's brutal. My whole... Yeah, the tip of my finger's just gone. And... Uh, it was quite painful, I'll say that. Uh, <laughs> um, I still remember how bad it hurt all these years later. And, uh, yeah, I was in the hospital for, like, God, I don't know, 12 hours or something like that. Jesus, man. They, they, they put silicone to fill in where the meat was or whatever Ugh. and uh, sewed my finger to my hand. Oh, my God. Yeah. <clears throat> and then I, they put me in a cast and a sling so my hand had to stay above my heart. For almost, I think I remember it was like the entire month of August. Wow. This was like 92, 93. Which hand was um, it? My right hand. It's the uh, index, not the index, the ring finger on my right hand. So you couldn't like jerk off or anything like that? <laughs> well, I had like a girlfriend, so, you know. So what? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I was on like painkillers for the first time in my life. And was just sort of like, like walked, walked through that month in a complete haze. Wow, that's brutal. Uh, it was brutal, dude. It sucked. Um, and I, you know, but I've never broken anything. But yeah, like things like that uh, happened to me. Yeah, I, I got tons of fucking injuries, man. I got like I broke my wrist, my arm, my ankle, uh, my ribs. Uh, my nose has been broken a bunch of times. Um, I sprained. Got to be wow. Sprained my. Uh, well, now, just now, my my left ankle has been cool until now, and then I I got um, meniscus tears in both knees. And, uh, yeah, it's, it it know. seems like people who do what you do with the, the training, uh, jujitsu, and everything like it just comes with the territory. Yeah, most of the injuries, except for like the ribs and the um, the new newly sprained ankle, came from grappling. I I always get fucked up when I do that shit. That's like really hard on your body, you know. I had inflammation of the, the the muscle in my ribs. It was one of the most painful things uh, that ever happened. I thought I was having a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it hurt so bad. I was like, this is great. 
<laughs> and there's nothing <laughs> you can do thing. about it, man. You just have to let it, you know, you can't, like, it was like the, what the hell is it, the floating rib that broke on, that I got broken. And uh, it wasn't like that. You can put it anything, you can do anything about it. You just have to kind of suffer through it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. I was just listening to a podcast about War Machine, that fucking lunatic MMA oh, the, the fighter. Murderer, the murderer, right? Well, he didn't kill anyone, oh, but he's he still a, got... He, right, he's the, uh, the, the abuser of women, shall we say. Yes, yeah. he, he caught his girlfriend in bed with a guy, although I guess they were both fully clothed. He beat the shit out of him, but then he really beat the shit out of her. It was disturbing. And one of the things I said that, that they, he broke 18 of her ribs, and I didn't even know we fucking had that many. That's fucked up, man. Eighteen, yeah, that's that's crazy. It was a it was a disturbing listen to to say the least. That that dude's in jail right now, so sure, yeah, he'll be there forever too. For because of that, I've never heard of someone getting life in prison for, a, you know, a near like a near death beating. I'm not saying they were wrong. I would have thrown every fucking book at him I could. I mean, it might have been the um, severity of how you know what i mean like the the sort of severity that of the beating he put on her you know what i mean that might have been like had some contributing factor to his the ex- extreme sentence that he got yeah yeah and he was like laughing at, at her in court court when she was yeah. testifying and shit like that you know judges tend to remember when you act sure. like an asshole in their courtroom like oh yeah you thought you were funny like Damn. um yeah anyhow <laughs> yeah that's dark <laughs> Indeed. What you been up to, man? What you been watching? Actually, I've been, I watched a couple of really cool things. Uh, I watched uh, Censor. Have you seen that yet? I, I've been seeing it around. I've been meaning to watch it. And I know uh, you and I are going to talk about it soon. Yes. So obviously I'm going to have to watch it. <laughs> I, I really liked it, man. It was cool. It's, um, you know, it takes place in the 80s. It's, uh, you know, around the UK uh, video nasties, you know, that era. Oh sure, yeah, yep. yeah, and it, it's interesting because it kind of, it kind of touches on a lot of stuff about uh, well censorship, you know, hence the title, um, you know, just just how cutting things out of films or forcing someone to I don't know the artificial nature of that thing, uh, you know what what that the toll is, you know I don't know I, I don't want to talk too much about it now because we're going to do an episode on it, but that. I thought the movie was great. It was shot really well. The acting was cool. And I really enjoyed it. Oh, awesome. Looking forward to that then. Uh, the, another thing I watched was a, a film called The Deep Ones, which is uh, obviously an H.P. Lovecraft, uh, pretty heavily mm. influenced H.P. Lovecraft thing. And um, I, I can't say that it was like a really good movie, but it was definitely cool to watch. Like It was pretty fun to watch. And uh, you know, that had definitely had its moments. Um, there was a little bit of a camp factor to it, which I generally mm. don't don't really like when it comes to Lovecraft. Sure. But, uh, but it was good, you know, and, and it's there's some funny scenes in it, too, where it's like, you know, the, the gratuitousness of some of the there was like some nude scenes that were very gratuitous. I thought there was like a sex scene that was like mm. it was like a little too long. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, sure. like, you know, it's like. <laughs> I don't know. It's just one of those things where you're like, okay, we got, we, we cast an actress who's cool with like being naked. So let's really, you know, take advantage of that, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't see camp and Lovecraft going together. Well, although, you know, reanimator definitely has a bit of that going on and dig into some extent, but you know, 
this sounds a little bit more on the camp side than that. Yeah, I mean, the Stuart Gordon stuff, I think, works because of when it came out, you know, the, the backdrop right, of the yeah. 80s, you know what I mean? Like, it, it just, I think that it fit the era that it came out. But to have a film like that come out in, uh, you know, this, this day and age, especially after uh, Color Out of Space came out, you know, to... The treat, and also just all the other Lovecraftian influenced stuff that's coming out. It's, it. I don't think the camp really works that much, but I still enjoyed the movie and I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, and I still hope we get a, a adaptation of Dunwich Horror like we were supposed to. It doesn't look like Richard Stanley's going to be doing it. I hope someone does it. Ah, uh, yeah, man. I um, that's a real heartbreaker, you know. Really, yeah, yeah. Although I didn't love Color Out of Space, it was great to see Richard Stanley working again and it was still it was still cool to watch like it had a great uh very visual movie i didn't completely hate it so it wasn't like a total washout for me there was another uh lovecraftian thing that i checked out called banshee chapter that uh brandon legion our buddy brandon legion of the horror wolf podcast he actually recommended it to me and um it's on tubi that service that's free with commercials I've seen that, but I don't remember it. It's a found footage movie, right? Um, yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't really play like a found footage film, but it is. It's, it's good. I thought it was pretty – I thought it was decent. I didn't, I'm not going to give it like, like super high marks, but I thought it was definitely worth checking out. There was some really cool stuff in there. Um, you know, it's, it's very much uh, inspired by the Lovecraft story from beyond, in my opinion. You know, a lot of the uh, same topics are part of that. Was Ted Levine in that? Ted Levine. Yeah, Buffalo Bill from um, Silence of the Lambs. I did not recognize Ted Levine in that movie unless oh, you know what? unless he played. He was... Actually, hold on a second. Let me let me just. There's a character in there who's like uh, a Hunter S. Thompson esque character. Yes, that's that's him. Uh, so that's Ted Levine. Yeah. I didn't recognize him because he's a much much older these days. Yeah, I love that guy. I love that actor. Yeah, actually. Um, now that now that I come to think of it, I can see the resemblance. But that was, you know, he was a good touch to the film. And um, yeah, he, yeah, he's good in everything. You know, it's one of those things you see him, you're like, oh, okay, this won't be too bad. Actually, let me ask you a question. Um, have you seen? Did you see? These are two other older movies I watched. I watched Red Dragon and I watched The Mist. Okay. All right. Have you seen Red Dragon? Um. Oh, with Ed Norton. Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes. Yeah, that was the remake of Manhunter by uh, Mick G. You know, that auteur Mick G. <coughs> yeah. Wait, no, that wasn't Mick G. It was Ted, Brett Ratner, the the uh, Rush Hour movies. That's okay. that's what he's known for. Yeah. I saw that. I don't remember it being any, like, it, it just kind of went in one ear and out the other. Well, with respect to Red Dragon, Manhunter is the far superior movie. Oh, okay. I mean, that, I think, in my opinion, I think that that movie yeah. is great. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, Manhunter is a classic. Yeah. You know, it just looks good. You know, Will, William, uh, fuck, I always forget his last name. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the guy from, uh, yeah, William. Oh, yeah, the, from Living William, Guy in L.A. Yeah, and, William Peterson. William Peterson, yes. that's his name. And Tom Noonan as uh, oh, yeah. the serial killer. Yeah, yep. he's fucking, what a cast. So, so good, man. And And, like, I think that William Peterson really captures, you know, the character. Like, and then 
years later, this Red Dragon, which I, I guess is, I have never read any of those books, but apparently that's more faithful to the, to the book. Mm. Um, Ed Norton, I just don't buy, man. I don't buy him in that role. Yeah, you know, as good of an actor as he is, he's only good in some things, you know? Like, it, even when he was the Hulk, I was like, eh, could have probably found something better to play the Hulk. And then yeah. they did. Um, but, you know, you watch something like Birdman, where he plays like a smarmy asshole, he's fucking great. Yeah, I mean, I liked him in Fight Club. I thought he was cool. And like, sure. You know, Death to Smoochie, I thought he was good in that movie. <laughs> that is such an underrated movie. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. It's so funny. American History X as the white power skinhead. He was great in that movie, too. He Well, the, yeah, the, the, the making of that movie is almost more interesting than the movie itself. But apparently him and the director did not get along, and there was a big power struggle. And Really? Yeah, the director wanted to make a much different kind of movie, and Edward Norton's like, nope, I'm taking over. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, well, you should read up on it. That director really hasn't worked since. I guess uh, Ed Norton showed him who's boss in that situation. He sure did. <laughs> he got fucking jacked for that role, man. He never, he's never looked like that ever again. No, and like I said, I remember him as like kind of like the, the, the nebbish lawyer from that Richard Gere movie, uh, Primal Fear. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then, and then as the nebbish lawyer in the uh, People versus Larry Flint. And then all of a sudden, he's just this like roided out skin. And he, he looks <laughs> imposing. Like he definitely like, like, Shit's, he looks like one of those like terrifying skinheads you'd see yeah. from like you know at a show in the eighties or, or early nineties in my case. Yeah, totally. And then uh, the mist, which still well, but, all right. My my thing with Red Dragon, I didn't like it at all. I really, I didn't even finish watching it, and I've seen it before. I remember liking it a little bit when it came out, and I couldn't mm. even finish watching it. I was like, you know what? I'd rather just watch Manhunter, which is on Shutter right now. Yeah, you know, and Brett Ratner, like I said, he's known for the Rush Hour movies. What an odd choice to direct that material. Yeah, I, I, I don't see it. And then, of course, The Mist totally mm. fucking holds up. I, I That's like one of my favorite King adaptions, I think. It is my favorite. <coughs> um, I saw it in the theater, but then when I got the Blu-ray and watched the black and white version, yeah, I, it, it totally changes the experience that movie should have been released in, in black and white only it looks gorgeous too yeah man it's it's still it's very uh effective still you know even you know how even if you know when you know the ending and even though you know the ending and what's crazy is the film has a way darker ending than the uh, novella has right and you know like i understand it's it's sort of like jaws like you like steven spielberg needed that big moment where Roy Schreider blows up the shark and it's really dramatic whereas in the the book I remember just kind of dies <laughs> like yeah there's a little bit of anticlimax, but it had like a brighter ending though at least there was like some hope you know right so but like a movie like you just you know what it, you can't end the movie then just driving off and in, in, into the mist I think is what Darren the Darabont was going for but he really was uh, uh, just wow <laughs> he really went dark for that ending and you know for the longest time i was like that movie was perfect but the ending did not fit the tone of that movie at all but i've kind of come around to it i love the ending i i, I applaud him for for having like a, an ending to a, a i mean it's it's not like a major blockbuster film but it was like definitely a film that was on a lot of screens you know back when it came out 
you know, and much like a lot of stuff that, you know, King adaptations, it kind of flopped when it came out. Because I remember it came out, came out around like Thanksgiving or Christmas or something. And that is a, that's just too dark of a movie for that time. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know what, though? Like, you know, it might have flopped, but it found an audience. Like, <laughs> people, you know, it's 12 years later or something, and, came, and people still talk about that movie. And it's definitely grown grown and uh, uh definitely found its audience yeah definitely and I, I totally back it and uh you're friends with thomas jane aren't you oh good friends yeah yeah <laughs> we hang out every time though <laughs> <laughs> i um i told you the story before i i briefly took on a second job at a grocery store delivering groceries you know times were a little tough need a little extra cash and uh you know the, his real name isn't he has a different first name so like i didn't really think much of it i don't want to give out his real name i don't know if it's that, private that, or that's not. probably a good idea not to do that. <laughs> yeah um yeah and i ring the bell and i ring the bell and no one answers and then finally as i'm about to leave this door flies open and out pops thomas jane wearing nothing but cargo shorts that are like falling down <laughs> <laughs> and he just reeks like cigars wow. and, and 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 bo and he's like bouncing up and down saying, hey what's up man hey how's it going like he's really like this animated guy and um you know i get back to the the shop and i'm like you know what that 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 man that was thomas jane and this guy's like oh yeah i had him last week <laughs> um i guess uh that driver was like you know the guy thomas jane is signing his receipt and the driver goes yeah i really liked um uh, really like boogie nights man and thomas jane's like ah, yeah, yeah. hands him back the receipt he goes oh oh i was in that <laughs> 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 like, that's awesome man you, you briefly forgot you were in boogie nights <laughs> um well, you know he does have quite a resume man he does he's great man he seems like uh you know he's good in another stephen king adaptation 1922 dude i thought that's i'm glad you brought that up too man because that that's a great adaptation and that's like the kind of the beginning of this king renaissance where we're in now you know what i mean yeah, and that's that, that's probably the best adaptation since since The Mist, maybe? I don't know. I really liked um, Gerald's Game, too. Gerald's Game is good. I was surprised yeah. at how good it was, actually, because the short story, I was like, man, how are they going to make a film out of this? Yeah, I was like, oh, that, that, what's his name, Mike Flanagan. You know, I was like, he's either going to have a really interesting take on this or it's going to be a complete disaster. <laughs> and... Uh, a good thing it was the uh, the latter, and he he's done another one. He did uh, Doctor Sleep. I didn't really care for that one, honestly. I uh, yeah, me neither. It was kind of just there for me. It's not not that into it. I saw both versions of it. I saw the director's cut and the theatrical cut, and neither one really did anything for me. You know, I didn't I didn't read the novel. I have it, but I just haven't read the novel. Yeah, you know, it sounds like it has some of Stephen King's worst impulses in it, just from, just from the movie. Like, like one of the characters' names is, is like Rose the Hat, and that's just such a stupid Stephen King type of name. <laughs> yeah. What about you, man? You check anything out worthwhile? Well, um, I've been listening to Quentin Tarantino doing his like publicity rounds and all the podcasts and you know talk shows and stuff like that. Yeah. And it got me thinking about his movies again, you know. Uh, so I watched um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again. 
and uh, the third time seeing it uh it's funny how the first time i saw that movie i left the theater was like that was cool but you know kind of lesser tarantino and now it's up in like my top four i i was i was i agree that it's up there my maybe my top five or four or five and but i i i left the theater thinking this was a fucking brilliant movie yeah, it didn't really hit me right away. I was like, oh, it's fun, but it just sort of rambled. I didn't know where it was going to go. And and uh, just the more I thought about it, like just listening to him talk for three hours in the Rogan podcast or like, you know, an hour and a half on Mark, Mark Maron's podcast, just how incredibly smart that guy is. Also, he and, has like a really good take on the whole of like offending people thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he he uh he doesn't seem to really care if he, <laughs> if he offends anyone. Yeah. And um you know, obviously that whole Bruce Lee scene is controversial for some reason, but you know, he he stuck to his guns. He wasn't like I apologize. He's like, "Look, from my research, this is what I know." You know, I I think I I, I think he feels like he, you know, you know, I've definitely exaggerated a bit, but it's like this is kind of what I think he he might have, you know, been like. Yeah, that's uh, I, I heard the same thing on Rogan and uh, the Bruce Lee thing. That was like literally the only thing I didn't really. Care. I was like, oh man, you're fucking around with Bruce Lee and like. But listening to him talk about it, I was like, yeah, actually, it was kind of like I don't know much about like all these works and stuff, but the um, the Brad Pitt character is like, oh yeah, he did like the oldest trick in the book, where it's like you know you watch him do one technique and then of course he's gonna try it again. And then you, and mm. you know it's coming, so you have like some you have another counter ready, you know. So it's like, oh, well, oh, interesting. I didn't really look at it that way, but um, but right. yeah, yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with him now, and especially t- talking about all of Bruce Lee's like wife and all this other you know controversy around that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you want to listen to it, go ahead and listen to it. <laughs> it's a, it's a very interesting conversation, and uh, I love that movie, and I want to read the book. Yeah, Mike's reading the book actually. Oh, is he? Yeah. What, what what's the verdict? Well, I, I I remember when we spoke on the last episode, he had just gotten it, and now I mm. haven't checked in on him to see what he thinks of it so far. Right on, man. Well, s- switching gears to something completely different. <laughs> what movie are we doing today, Mike? We're doing a movie that slipped by a lot of people, including me. It's a movie called mm. The Conspiracy. And um, yeah, it came out in uh, September twentieth, twenty twelve, at a fantastic festival, and it was directed and written by a guy named Christopher McBride. Uh, have you heard of this guy? I've never. I tried to find other stuff he's done. No, actually, no one in this cast seems to have done anything except for the actor who plays Aaron, Aaron who, Cole. yeah, was in a movie you and I and Randy covered, Vampty um, <laughs> Man. Yeah, he had a really small part in that film, but yes, he was in that, and of course, he was also in The Void, too. Oh, okay, all right. You know, I, when I saw him, I was like, he looks sort of familiar. Yeah, he was the, uh, like, one of the main characters in The Void. Wait, was he the cop? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, I think I watched this pretty much on a whim. Because it's in, um, it's on Shutter right now. So anyone out there who uh, has a Shutter subscription, uh, you know, it's you can you can check this out and make up your mind if whether or not you like it. But I, this came out like uh, almost ten years ago, man. And 
I, I got to be honest, I never even heard of this film until I actually watched it. Yeah, it was one of those things that was on demand. I saw this when it was released on demand. But it was one of those things that was released without <laughs> any sort of hype. I didn't remember seeing any articles or reviews for it. But I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. And there seemed to be like a, a, a lot of found footage movies coming out around that time. Like, you know, you mentioned the Banshee chapter earlier. There was... Um, skinwalker ranch a lot of similar kind of movies were all coming around around the same time and i watched all of them <laughs> and um this one stood out as the best of the bunch but like when you mentioned about um talking about it i was like oh i remember that but i don't really remember anything about that so it was an interesting rewatch and and i generally do not like found footage films Right, you know, and and there are definitely some ex- some exceptions out there, but uh, I just think it's like a really uh, obvious way of making a film on a really tight budget, and mm. a lot of uh, the things I en- I enjoy about films is are never applied in the found footage world. You know, like there's you know the way scenes are constructed, and you know it's supposed to look amateurish and like immediate, and um, I think that turns me off to a lot of these films you know yeah yeah well this is more of a a mockumentary and i don't think that format really fits the movie i mean when we get to the end of the movie we can talk about that a little bit more but i think it kind of hurts the movie a little bit that it might this might have been better as just like a standard movie but it was probably a a budget thing because unless you can really nail it like lake mungo where it's so convincing like it, it just takes you right out of it and i feel like they didn't quite quite nail it in this one yeah lake mungo is probably one of the best out of all these types well i mean mockumentary films i would say for sure right yeah and um yeah so many of them just feel scripted at you know like and they they all end up the same you know uh i'll I'll give this one some points for ending on a different note but yeah essentially as you can guess this film has to do with uh conspiracy theories which um up until uh, about four years ago, um, <laughs> I used to love conspiracy theories, and now it's dangerous uh, <laughs> to be into conspiracy theories. And yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and this, this one is, uh, you know, if anyone, anyone out there uh, it's, it's, who's familiar with this kind of stuff, it's, it's based on, the, you know, the Bilderberg group and all that sort of, uh, you know, like rich guy, New World Order, all those various you know, shadowy concepts about what's actually going on in the world. Yeah, and it's funny, this was made in, it looks like it was shot in 2011. Because um, that's when the movie takes place. And that's sort of like a, the in-between period where Alex Jones started appearing on TV more and yelling and screaming and stuff. He wasn't quite the prominent figure he was. I mean, if you even go back just like five years, six years into the you know, the, the Bush era, Alex Jones was kind of considered like this, like kind of like neat Austin kook. You know what I mean? Like he pops up in movies and, <laughs> you know, he's a, he, he hates Bush <laughs> and I, you know, like I, I can never get on that, on that train, but like uh, what he's become is just, yeah, like you said, just ridiculous. Well, you know, I, I also, I found him, uh, Alex Jones back when, uh, you know, podcasting and stuff was kind of like new to me. 
you know, so it was probably like 2009, 2010. I remember I was flying to Europe Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I figured I had a long flight ahead of me and then also a long return flight and uh, a few weeks after, you know, we left. So I was like, you know, going through my iTunes and um, I remember I was listening to Joe Rogan at that point and then Mm -hmm. Alex Jones came up, his, um, what the hell is that called? Uh, His like podcast that he had. Yeah, I, I just know his Infowars thing. Infowars, yeah, that's. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he had uh, he had the Infowars podcast. So I downloaded. I saw that they were really long, and I knew that I had a lot of time to kill, and it kind of dealt with a lot of the things that at that time, which you know I, I always liked all that stuff. You know, reading about MK Ultra and and um, sure, it's you know, yeah. You know, all that mind control and the deep state and all that. And I downloaded a few of his episodes for the for the flight. And I was like, oh, this guy's like, you know, pretty, pretty. He's definitely out there. He's definitely probably on coke or whatever, because he was like such a fucking speaking a mile a minute, just going for, you know, full on. And um, and I was like, oh, yeah, Alex Jones. Yeah, he's got some crazy ideas. He's got he hate he hates Bush, you know, which is always good in my my, you know, in my world. Sure. But then, of course, he went off the deep end. You know, initially he was a huge Trump supporter, and then he fell off of that too. You know, and then he was putting forth the whole Pizzagate conspiracy theory. Yeah, God. And that's when I was like, you know what, man, I don't feel comfortable. Uh, you know, giving this stuff my my precious time anymore. So I kind of backed out of paying attention to conspiracy theories, especially. You know, with the rise of like the Pizzagate stuff, the QAnon thing, like Flat Earth, like suddenly it became like not fun and, you know, sort of dangerous. And I saw like all the weird political stuff that was like intertwined with believing, you know, or not believing, but even just being interested in conspiracy theories. And these people, you know, believe this shit's real. So. And it seems to be like wrapped up in complete lunacy. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I remember reading Behold uh, the Pale Horse in the yeah. 90s. Like, every hardcore kid, punk rock kid, yep. whatever, counterco, everyone read that book. Um, if that book out came out today, everyone would be laughing at it. Um, but back then, like, you know, like you said, conspiracy theories were kind of counterculture. Now they just seem to belong to people with these just insane notions that Trump is still president. He still has the nuclear codes. And, um, you know, there's a cabal of pedophiles that are being like uh, that are operating outside of a, in the basement of a pizza place in DC. And this is, this is lunacy. Yeah. <clears throat> and I guess the transition is like now, like back in the nineties, you know, the late eighties, you know, the early part of this, this century, the, the, the sort of antagonist in conspiracy theories was the government, like the right, right, right wing government, people who are looking for a new world, new world order. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the conservative, they were like the enemy, you know what I mean? They, yeah. were the, they were the ones who were trying to control everyone. And the, you know, the government was trying to mind control you and, you know, these LSD experiments and all this kind of stuff, but somewhere, you know, along the line, <laughs> the, the, the script got flipped and it's like the people who are supporting all conspiracy theories are these like super right wing conservatives and the ones who are like. The, the 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 antagonists are now like liberals and stuff and it's just fucking nuts you know it's yeah it, it's very nuts but um you know and it started like 9-11 that started to get kind of weird like yeah. all those like wacky conspiracies i mean 
there's no doubt there's things going on that we don't know about. <laughs> there has to be. But yeah. some of these theories are just... I mean, do you believe any of any conspiracy theory ever? Moon landing, JFK? Do you believe any of that stuff? Well, the JFK always seemed kinky to me. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, you know, his, his assassination seemed kinky. You know? Yeah. The moon landing... I believe we went to the moon, but I can mm-hmm. see where, why people wouldn't believe that when you look at some of the footage. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, but I, I think I, I believe we went to the moon. Just, just sure. for the yeah. for the record. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the nine eleven stuff. Now it's fun. It's interesting you brought that up because um, that conspiracy, all the conspiracy theories surrounded that, surrounding that, still framed the republicans and george bush as the as the villains you know right yeah so the people who are like on board the the 9-11 stuff were like you know kind of like more like far left types you know what i mean right yeah you know who are also nuts too in my opinion you know <laughs> but like <laughs> you know but uh you know they're not trying to turn america into nazi germany like the right wing is you know right sure and um if you believe in all these conspiracies, Mike, you could probably play guitar for the Deftones. Oh. <laughs> well, the stuff that we're talking about actually has a lot of relevance because in this film, there's uh, two, two filmmakers. Um, actually, I'll, I'll only, like you said, only one of them we really went on to do anything. Um, Aaron Poole is the most well-known actor in this film. Mm-hmm. He plays Aaron. <laughs> uh, J- James Gilbert is Jim and they, the two of them are, uh, you know, kind of, they're, they're documentary filmmakers struggling. You know, they frame that up, you know, in Aaron, by showing Aaron's apartment as he's a struggling filmmaker. Right. And, and the, um, the subject of their documentary is a guy named Terrence played by Alan Peterson. And, uh, Terrence is pretty much epitomizes the conspiracy theory loving whack jobs that were uh, that you would see in New York City a lot of times, you know, and, and you would see these guys, you know, preaching the end times and all this other stuff. So that's, you know, and he always had like um, a wealth of circumstantial evidence to back up all of his crazy theories. Right. I mean, he's such a like stereotypical character where it's like you go into his apartment and it's cluttered and there's billboards everywhere with arrows pointing to this and pointing to that um but he plays it pretty good you know this this alex jones type of guy um i gotta say does it ever state like why they wanted to make this documentary they just kind of like it open if i remember just kind of opens and you're just in it already well they kind of go into it a little bit um i think i think aaron was saying oh yeah you know someone sent me these like youtube clips and you know it ended up in my inbox and i started getting interested in it and he just went down this rabbit hole and then he learned about terrence and uh mm. you know and i guess i, I my per- personally i've never made a documentary nor do i plan on ever doing something like that <laughs> but the uh they started being like oh this would be a great idea for a film so that's when they started getting to know Terrence, following him around, filming him, um, interviewing him, you know, so the, the film has a lot of interview footage with him talking about various conspiracy theories. <clears throat> and then he, um, he brings up the Tarsus group. Yes. 
which you know obviously is uh you know the bilderberg group you know and, and it's like another one of these uh you know bohemian grove which is actually these are all real things actually bohemian grove and the bilderberg group it's just that what actually goes on at those places is all shrouded in mystery though you know yeah this seemed like it took a little bit from the real world not even the, like you know 9-11 plays into it yep. like I said the bilderberg group with a different name it kind of blends reality with fiction. I mean, even some of the scenes where you see Terrence preaching, that looks like it was done guerrilla style. Like they were, those are really just regular people on the street. Yeah, definitely. And, and it has that vibe, you know, like, and there's also, they cut in like a bunch of different, um, you know, political figures speaking to, to give it like that documentary feel, you know, where right. it has this like verite, like, vibe to it you know and I, I thought that was done really well in this movie it was at times when aaron starts to become i guess radicalized it starts to feel more like a performance you know what i mean it starts to feel a little less authentic for me yeah i mean i i i, I pretty much um you know made the jump in, into the environment of the movie i think uh i think maybe because i like aaron Poole as an actor you know what I mean? Sure. I, I kind of enjoy him in films. I've only seen him in like a couple, but I think that, uh, yeah, I saw him obviously in The Empty Man, which we didn't really like. And I saw him no. in The Void, which I thought was good. And, um, well, so basically they're doing this documentary about him. Terrence thinks people are following him. And then Terrence just disappears one day, goes cold. Yeah. And Aaron sort of picks up his mantle. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they drop little hints that, you know, you could see, like, Aaron it would be more apt to believe this kind of stuff. He just seems like more of that guy. Like, when you look at him and Jim, the buddies, Jim kind of is the more together of the two. Like, he's married. He has a kid. He dresses a little nicer, a little bit more, I guess, for lack of a better word, grown up. Whereas, like, you know, Aaron's kind of lives in this, you know, <laughs> schlubby apartment. Yeah. And, like, he, you know feels like you know like he's like you know you can see like oh this guy probably would be one of those dudes who could watch a youtube video and start to go uh, you know and, and start to believe all this stuff right and, and also just framing it up around that p time period that didn't necessarily mean that you were like uh you know like one of these like incel like gun guys you know like that you were That's gonna true. Like, shoot up like a uh, movie theater after watching uh the joker movie you know, back right. back then, a lot more a lot more reasonable people like were were interested in conspiracy theories, myself included. You know, right? But you weren't like you know covering your walls no. with newspaper or anything. No, 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 no. definitely not. Or but, going in ch chat room. That's another sign of the time. You know, like now it would one hundred percent be Facebook or something. Or <laughs> yeah, it would be like a private group on Facebook. But, you know, I did like that touch visually of the chat room yeah. with the Sims sort of characters. It was odd. I found it oddly creepy. Well, let's let's get into that. So when when okay. we uh, when when uh, Terrence goes missing, you know, these guys are trying to figure out. I mean, because that is kind of like fucked up. You know, you got a guy you're making a, a you know documentary about. You know, it's probably they probably have been, you know, guerrilla style like embedded with this dude for months. You know. And then you can't get in touch with him. Mm -hmm. And the apartment has been, uh, you know, he's gone. It looks like somebody tossed the apartment, too. And, right. Um, so they find out that he's uh, part, there's like some 
conspiracy theorist uh, anonymous chat room that obviously looks like it's from like fucking 2010 or something like that. It's so, <laughs> it's so dated looking where there's these <clears throat> these like Sim City looking, um, you know, people that are meeting in this like virtual room and you know everyone's anonymous right so they they go in there you know they go in there as terrence right yeah yeah and uh, I, I i i think so oh no they're asking if anyone knows where he is right 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 yeah sorry about that so yeah and yeah go ahead yeah I, no i just thought that was a visually more interesting than, thing to do than showing like another scene of someone clacking away on a uh, on a keyboard like those creepy dated avatars they seem to like turn and look at the screen like they're looking right at you when he starts typing um i just thought it was a nice touch yeah that was definitely creepy and i was like oh man i wonder if i wonder if anything like that really existed what do you what do you think yeah probably <laughs> yeah uh, if i was a betting man i'd say yeah so at this point you know i don't know it's aaron seems to put put terrence's work back together relatively quickly I mean, maybe it's just, uh, you know, time crunch, but like, you know, a couple couple beats later, he's like, okay, I got it all figured out. Well, I mean, you got to remember, they, they were making a film about this guy. It's true, yeah. You know, and, and they probably did have a lot of this information, all these notes and stuff already, you know, already in their possession. And so he makes this connection at the Taurus group. They seem to meet every time right before there's a big event in the world. And a key piece to his um, thesis is an article in, I think it was The New Yorker, written by a guy, um, Mark Tucker. Yeah. And that's like a key piece. And then they have to go and find, like, the next, I guess, move is to go and find him. Right. And they go back, back of course, to the, to the sketchy virtual uh, world of, uh, of 19, you know, 1999 avatars. Right. And it's sort of interesting that Mark sort of found them at the same time they were looking for him. And he's like, take down everything that you put up. <laughs> right. And and, um, and this is another kind of uh, uh, they meet Mark. His face is distorted. His voice is distorted. There's something wrong with his fingers. They definitely made it made um a very concerted effort to show that his fingers were like broken and not set correctly. Right, like they had done that to him, yeah, or something like that. But here's my first kind of like thing that like was like, these guys are documentary filmmakers. They're not dummies. They don't really ask for any credentials. Like this guy is who he says he is. Well, I, that brings up something that I was thinking about too, and and I thought that maybe he wasn't even the guy. Hmm. But. What brought me back around was the fact that his fingers were fucked up. That right. I, I think that he actually was the guy, and then he, he had written, um, you know, he had written a, uh, you know, an article. So I, I thought somebody went to go talk to him and broke his hands, and I'm like, look, forget everything you know about this. Right. But we eventually find out another key piece of information about him, which we'll get to. Um. <coughs> So then you get like the standards, like Aaron's getting really, really wrapped up in this thing. And Jim is starting to maybe pull away a little bit, starting to think maybe this is dangerous. 
they start to see guys on bikes that look familiar to them. You know, the big menacing SUV is following them. And then it's parked outside of their house. Um, Aaron's apartment is broken into. Yeah, I like that scene because, uh, you know, after Aaron's uh, apartment gets broken into, uh, Jim is like, they got, they got like $40 or something like that of stuff. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, you know, insinuating that he's a pretty low rent sort of dude, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like one of us. Like one of us. You know? <laughs> exactly. That's man. what I was thinking about too, man. I got a piece of shit I was in my 20s. <laughs> um, yeah, and he's got to go and crash with his friend Jim. And there's some great scenes of like his wife who's just like not having it where like, Aaron's looking out the window and you hear Jim and his wife in the background sort of being like, <laughs> like having that little, like, yeah, yeah. You, you know, she's like, what the fuck? Once again, man, a good woman Keep, keeping <laughs> the fucking insane insanity in check or trying to at least. Yeah. I, I thought that thing, that, that scene was just so authentic. Cause how many times are you even like sitting on a couch while you're at your friend's house and this girlfriend <laughs> trying to fight quietly in the other room what the the fuck is he doing here again yeah yeah you know she was like why is he staying on a cow we have a kid you know like again like you you see the differences in how they're living he's kind of got his shit more together and he feels like at this point i think he wants to pull away like the suv parked in front of their apartment really freaks him out but also at that point you kind of he kind of had passed the point of no return with this whole thing really you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. But I really feel like it was like a one foot out kind of thing for him at, at, at that point. Although he does eventually, you know, go full on. Well, um, yeah, what happens is Tucker gets in touch with them and he's like, oh, I think, uh, you know, we can make this because uh, they, they wanted to infiltrate the next meeting. Yeah. You know, and, um, uh, and that's when Tucker pops up again. It's like, oh, I think I can make this happen. Yeah, I had another problem. <laughs> Again, I had another problem with that. Like, they don't really know this guy is who he says he is. Dude. And now, out of, out of nowhere, he's like, I can get you in. I would be like, like, no fucking way, man. You know, that shit was just too easy, really. Yeah, it's like, did anyone not realize how <laughs> incredibly easy it was to infiltrate this ultra-exclusive, ultra-secret group? It was just like this guy they don't know, don't know who... If he's really who he says he is, like, yeah, I can get you in. And they're like, yeah, okay. Well, and it, th- it just seems like Jim wouldn't have gone along with it. The way, the way I thought the movie was going, I was like, he's, there's just no way. But in order for the plot to advance, he's got to. I thought that Aaron, at that stage of the game, you know, with all the weird, you know, the threats, you know, the, the truck following them, the, 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 the sketchy, like, biker guys, like the cyclists. You know, I think and Aaron, you know, Aaron's apartment being broken into that he probably was already more than willing to believe anyone who's going to try to give him information on this thing because he was so obsessed with it. Uh, yeah, but I mean, a scene of them even like debating like, hey, wasn't this a little bit too easy or hey, isn't this crazy? Yeah, I think that the, it would have the movie would have and also the movie is only like 86 minutes long too so that's yeah, really short they could have actually put in a scene where jim's like oh i don't you know i don't know man like and you know and like aaron kind of hard sold him on it you know that kind of thing yeah and it's like it's just so easy they don't they don't know anything they don't know like if, when the guys come up and talk to him if 
you know, if they, you know, didn't they ever see eyes wide shut? Maybe there's a wrong response you can say. Yeah. Oh, before um, we get too far, um, think about the Tarsus group, the Tarsus yeah. club. They're uh, connected with the cult of Mithras, which um, I don't know if it was on this podcast or another one that I talked about them briefly. Oh, wait, oh, I, no, I, it, I, I talked about the cult of Mithras on uh, Into the Necrosphere, Jamie Smith's uh, podcast. And uh, oh. that's it's a um, that's what they believe Jesus Christ was based on, like the, the whole Christian pantheon of mythology. Yeah, so, I thought that might have had some basis in reality because they no, bring up the 100%, symbol. No, hundred percent, does. I mean, it's it's definitely part of history, a real part of history. Um, yeah, because they they show like the, how the bull is everywhere, you know, on Wall Street and everything. I was like, oh, this has to have some sort of basis in reality. And uh, the reason I found out about it was back when I was a kid, I was reading Conan and uh, mm. the Aquilonians who were kind of like the Roman Empire, they had a god called Mitra, okay? M-I-T-R-A. And, you know, because I was like a geek, I got totally <clears throat> wrapped up in like reading all the background on how he came up with all this stuff. <clears throat> and they mentioned the cult of Mithras because hmm. the, cult, the, the cult of Mithras was rampant throughout the uh, Roman Empire. You know, so that's how it found its way. Like Christianity, a lot of, a lot of Christianity and Jesus Christ specifically was all sort of taken from the cult of Mithras, which was like 2,000 years prior to the emergence of Christianity. Wow. And I think it actually started in Persia and migrated its way into the, into, well, you know, the Roman empire was like this huge thing. So, yeah. Mm. Interesting. Made it, made it even, made this movie even cooler for me. Cause I like reading up on that kind of shit. Oh, I know. That's totally your shit right there. Um, I was going to say like this, this, like when they infiltrate it, like I have to like, even though it's visually kind of ugly because they're using like uh, cameras that are on tie clips, which <coughs> seem like that'd be pretty obvious to me but whatever yeah so it's visually kind of dull but this is like the, the final what 15 20 minutes are so tense and so good because you really don't know you know these two are like in way over their heads and you do not know what's going to happen to them yeah definitely man and um <clears throat> i think that's like really what i mean that's kind of what made the film for me was the ending but the ending, though, as much as I love the ending, really was was uh, was really good because of all the stuff leading up to it, too. You know what I mean? Like, I thought the characterization, the relationship between Jim and Aaron, um, you know, even the fact that, you know, the one the one voice of logic was uh, was Aaron's wife. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Jim's wife. And yeah. all, all that stuff kind of ratcheted up and made the ending sequence even more impactful well yeah and when the scene really gets tense is when jim is going in to do his ritual aaron sees the guy they think is the guy they've been talking to with the broken fingers they see him he's a member yeah so they he knows at that point we've been duped yep. it's basically becomes kind of like the wicker man you are lured somewhere under false pretenses and you are playing a big part in this ritual, but not the part you think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Um, and that that my blood ran cold at that scene. I was just like, oh, this is the moment they were realizing we're fucked. Yeah. And uh you know, just they, they disguise the voices. They're like they're dropped in pitch, you know, and it's just the whole thing is like super creepy and it has like the you know, the grainy like video quality and all that. Yeah, and people are coming up and talking to him at the bar. And you don't know if they're feeling them out, asking them, like, you, you, you don't, you're not really sure where they stand when they, like, you don't know if they immediately know they're imposters or not. You don't know until that moment where you see the guy they thought wrote that article and like, oh, shit, you know, maybe he probably realized, yeah, maybe this probably was way too easy to get in here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know? my, my take on it was that everyone knew those guys were imposters. You know what I oh, mean? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure, like, you have the ritual stage and everything. And yeah, it's a really creepy moment when Aaron goes <laughs> and does his initiation. And, like, you see the reveal when he looks in the mirror that he's wearing the mask of the bull and not the raven. Yeah, totally, man. Very, very, very effective. You know? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> My thing with Tucker, though, is remember there was another, another part of the film where they were talking about how, like, you know, occasionally they'll release propaganda basically mm. so my thing is that i think tucker was actually a journalist who had written that article but he was also part of uh the tarsus club yeah i yeah that 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 works as, I as mean, like I, a propaganda guy you know to kind of release like you know because they were saying there was a part where they're like well if we were to go completely dark it would make us look even more suspicious so they have to release information as time goes by right which kind of like again most spoiler we realize we're watching one of those propaganda videos exactly yeah uh which is a neat little twist but it kind of doesn't make it because at the beginning a woman is talking and she goes but things ended tragically but nothing really ended tragically according to them <laughs> like it was a weird uh flub i think like a mistake well Actually, I, th I was thinking the same thing, but part of me, all right, you know how um, in a lot of these like fake, you know, documentaries, like pseudo documentaries, it's like there's there's the, um, you know, the sort of uh, concept that this we, we're, we're adding all the other parts that make this make sense. You know what I mean? Mm, right. So part of me thinks that this was like, you know, some bootleg pirated version of the of the film that the tarsus club wanted them to make and, uh. they, and they added the scenes that frame it up you know because like obviously in, in like the um in a propaganda film they're not going to show a guy getting you know ritually murdered you know what i mean which is what happens which is exactly <laughs> what mean, happens yeah it's ambiguous but i don't think there's any any denying that they basically strong arm Jim, like we have your family, you're going to go along with everything. And Aaron's fucked. Very uh, good acting work by the actress who played his wife too. Oh yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. There's a scene in this faux thing we're watching where he's sitting on his couch. Jim is sitting on his couch smiling like, yeah, I just hope Aaron, wherever he is, he's doing okay. And like, he's just smiling and the look his wife gives him <laughs> says everything. That that happened. Yeah, and and I think she did it. I think she was really one of the finer moments in the film uh, as like uh, a supporting actress. You know what I mean? Like yeah, by giving like 
She's the only one who's not out of her fucking mind in this whole thing. She's the only one who's logical, the only one who's reasonable, the only one who has, like, her priorities in the right place. Right, exactly. And her husband. But she, she, it's like the, the, the use of her work in the film, it's like such a great highlight when she appears to, to yeah, show you a, how fucking crazy these two guys are. Yeah, it's a, it's a small role, but uh, she does everything with it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like I said, that look she gives him at the end of utter disdain of like, you, you fuck, <laughs> like, look at what you did. Um, yeah, he, he really, he put her, his whole fucking life and all of his loved ones at risk by doing a harebrained scheme that they had. And I would think they would forever be at risk. I mean, they know way too much. It's either they're going to like, they don't seem like they'd make him a part of the group. Like, no, to me, it's just, I, this is such a nefarious group. I was like, <laughs> I don't know why they're both not dead. You know, like this documentary didn't make enough noise to make, you know, these two go missing that really that big of a deal. No one really knows. Like we destroyed all the information. They'll never know how they got to the TARS. They don't even know about us. It seemed like uh, a stretch to me to like leave them alive and like show their rituals. And look, we have nothing to hide. I have a concept that I've I've been thinking about this. All right. Okay. All right. You know how like in a lot of these like dramas... You know, there's, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're doing something dangerous. You're infiltrating some group or whatever. And there's always this threat of like, you know, hey, if you don't hear from me, I want you to go public with this tape or whatever, you know? Right. So my, my feeling is that all of them got disappeared. And the film that we're watching is the version of their, of the, a propaganda documentary that was sent out because because those guys went missing. That is very interesting. I didn't even consider that. Only only but, because all the things that you were saying about how all this like incriminating footage is included in it. And the last shot of the movie is sort of Jim taking out the trash, and he sort of like looks up like something startled him, exactly. and it cuts to black. Yep. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that's that, very interesting. Yeah, the second time I watched it, it kind of that kind of like I put that together a little bit. Wow, that makes me like it more then. <laughs> exactly right. I mean, I liked it the first time around. Then the second time around, I was like, "Oh shit, we're watching these." Everyone got fucking disappeared, and this is the version of the film that was released to the press, you know, to media to blow blow this whole thing open. Yeah, and they probably made up some bullshit about Jim and his family leaving the country to, you know, and then eventually everyone forgets, you know, until the next lunatic comes along. Yeah, yeah. Really interesting. So if you're going to give this a final grade, what, what, what would you give it? Where, where, where are you with this? I'd give it a four. Yeah. I, I would highly okay. recommend it to people. Who, and it's not for everyone, this movie, either. I mean, it's not like a gore fest or there's no, you know, it's like one of these like mostly conversation, you know, mostly mm-hmm. dialogue, which, you know, I, I, I like that stuff myself when there's a lot of dialogue and exposition and stuff like that. And um, it, it's, it's a, in a genre of horror films that I'm not a big fan of. This one actually got made me maybe uh, I got something out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm right behind you. It's like three, three and a half. Okay. For me, yeah. I think it's really 
It's an entertaining watch. It's a little too short and not really fleshed out enough. I mean, at a hundred and I think minus credits, it's like an hour and 21 minutes. Just a few more character beats, a few more. I don't know. There's something more to it. Yeah, I'll, um, yeah, I'll go with that. But I mean, for such a short movie, it does it, it is interesting. It does make a lot of points. It does sort of like point out to how like crazy some of these conspiracy people uh, are by creating, you know, this delusion that can never be disproved. They say, you know, like. It's sort of like feeding your own insanity. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we see that now. We see that today, you know, with all the conspiracy nut jobs out there about how you can never prove them wrong because they don't believe, they believe the narrative. They don't believe the, any of the evidence. So how can you ever make them believe that they're wrong? Right. Yeah. I and mean, I just thought that was an interesting point. They mentioned YouTube. Um, these are all things that are like, not like, you know, have radicalized people. Like, you know, these um so it was a little ahead of its time yeah uh, no totally and it was entertaining i loved 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 the ending i love secret society stuff and they mixed it with cult stuff that i i really loved all that i thought i thought visually them meeting at the end in that triangular shape building in the woods it was like when you see a building shape like that it's never good no man hell no you know something <laughs> fucked up is going on in a place like that <laughs> yeah and i love i loved the last 15 20 minutes of this movie i i it really like you know because it, it is kind of a slow burn and it leads up to a really well-made scene where it's just like white knuckle tense for like 15 minutes let, let me ask you a question because you grew up in a place not too difficult not too different from where i grew up you know what I mean? right like I, I grew up close to where uh, trash american style was mm, yeah so, i'm know, more like central yeah i, I grew up like on the in the place called Carmel, which is on the other side, on the New York side, mm-hmm. and you know it's not it's a it's a suburban you know kind of place, but it's also more on the rural suburban side. You know, not so much like uh, like a bigger town. It's like a small town kind of thing. Now, yeah, I spent a lot of time in the woods. Did you go into the woods a lot when you were a kid? Yeah, all all the time, all the time. Especially you know Connecticut, like it's been. So, so, so many wooded areas to, to fuck around in. You, you ever find anything like that? Like a, like a structure or a house or something like that that's been like, you know, like ruined or ruins or burned down houses or anything like that? I remember there was a trail by like when my brother was playing soccer at the time. I was just a little kid and I would wander off in this trail and there was this statue of like a dragon that was just deteriorating that I just always... Like, it was, like, a big deal to me to even, like, look at it. I was so afraid of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I was, like, I don't know, maybe five or six, and I still remember that fucking thing, you know? And, uh, you know, of course, you'd see the various porno magazines spread around with, like, you know, fucking beer cans, someone's flannel, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know? Yeah, um, Mike but- and I were talking about that on the last episode, about how that's, like, a thing of the past, like, woods woods porn. Yeah, I, I feel like if you're in your... your even your early 30s you're like what the fuck are you talking about yeah back then there was uh, only hard copies of pornography to enjoy yes and like you know it had rained the previous night so some of the pages were stuck together and you know you just had to use your childlike imagination <laughs> and uh stuff like that. Like, connecticut has a really rich haunted history there's a lot of great ghost stories that come out of connecticut you complete with an entire haunted town <laughs> 
Really? Um, yeah, what's it called? Um, Cornwall, Camden, it begins with a C. Um, <laughs> I can't quite remember, but, um, you know, it's like you, you, you can't trespass on it. Fuck, I wish I could remember the name of it. Dudley Town. Do you know all the stories behind it, or this is just something you're aware of? It's something I'm aware of, and it's something about cursed ground. I, I should read up on it more. Is it's really, uh, you know, apparently a well-known story, you know, and, and especially around Halloween, people try to get in and stuff like that. Um, there's a lot of great ghost stories about haunted, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, about Connecticut, and I don't really believe in all that stuff, but I am superstitious enough <laughs> to uh, to avoid places like that. I guess the point I was trying to make, though, is like I, I've run into shit in the woods, you know, like this, like these abandoned places, right? Or like yeah. ruins and stuff. And I would never, in a million years, choose that as like some rendezvous point, you know? <laughs> it's yeah. like the middle of the night. It's like okay, if we get separated, let's meet here in this like creepy ass like murder house in the middle of the woods. <laughs> that, that's triangular shaped. Yeah. And then <laughs> fucking the tri. Yeah, exactly that. Like the try the pyramidal vibe of that place, you know. Yeah, that gave me like strong like midsummer uh, vibes, and 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 Blair Witch, you know, that ending is kind of Blair Witch, where he, he sees his friend, he thinks everything's okay, and then the, the people start blowing their horns and they just raise their <laughs> arms. It was a really, really creepy moment. You know, what what are your thoughts on the Blair Witch Project? Uh, I, I think it's, uh, incredible. I, I, it's one of the most effective horror movies ever made and it is very much of its time, you know, late nineties people, I mean, like the internet was new as a new way to promote a movie. First time I ever heard about the Blair Witch Project was I was on tour, I think in New York and there was missing posters everywhere for those filmmakers. Oh, like yeah. any, any information go to the Blair Witch Project. So I was like, I thought that was real. Yeah, a lot of people did, myself included, somewhat. Yeah. By the time I actually saw the movie, I knew it wasn't real. But I could see that that is, talk about effective and, and authentic. Um, you know, that movie does so much with absolutely nothing. <laughs> you know, like no special effects, no like nothing. Like, it, it's just noises in the woods and your imagination. I didn't like that movie actually when I, when I first watched it. <clears throat> I remember I went to see it in the theater, and um, I remember kind of feeling like the buildup of what I expected versus what I got were like completely different. I thought. Oh, interesting. Um, I just you know <laughs> Turner had saw it in the theater. I had bought it on home video that when the day it came out to watch. Uh, it was in October in New England's perfect perfect time to watch a movie like that. I remember I was like, so Turner, how was it? And he's like, when the movie ended, no one got up and left. He's <laughs> like, everyone just sat there in silence and, and watched the credits. Yeah. I was like, oh man, I, that ending's got to be great. It's all, the ending, and, the ending was great. That's like really, literally the thing I like about the movie. That's like one of the only things I like about the movie is the ending. Um, it's a great ending. And you know, it was like uh, the 90s were a time, man. Speaking of Quentin Tarantino and like, Films were constantly coming out that like everyone else tried to mimic and just yeah. couldn't pull off. You know, Tarantino comes out with the Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, and then all of a sudden there's like a million knockoffs. 
Yeah, none of them are good. Yeah, they're all garbage. And, um, you know, then you have Scream. That comes out. And there's like a million knockoffs of that. And then, you know, Seven comes out. And you you (laughs) have a million Seven. Yeah, and The Matrix. And all these, it's like, bang, 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 bang. And then, like, the Blair Witch Project. And then, funny enough, none of the Blair Witch, like, knockoffs really came to, like, way later. I thought, like, there, there would be a flood of those movies. And there were, but it was just years later. Yeah, yeah, it didn't happen around the same time. Man, Seven, I, 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 Brad Pitt fucking ruins that movie for me, man. <laughs> I think he's great. I, um, you know, Ed Norton would have been great in that role, I think. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. But, you know, Brad Pitt was like, you know, the young, hit, hot star. And they used to probably, it was like a little studio thing. Like, hey, you want to make this fucking dark-ass movie? You're going to put Brad Pitt in it. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, but, but Fincher would go on to work with him a lot. So clearly, yeah. he liked him. Um, What's in the box? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the worst acting I've ever seen, man. Oh, but no. But man. Oh, no. <laughs> how fucked up and unexpected was that? I did not see that coming. The movie is, is great. I, I really like the movie. I just, I, I didn't like that era of Brad Pitt. And I've actually come around to Brad Pitt quite a bit over the years. Yeah, I think we talked about it when we covered 12 Monkeys. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, that's when he was like a big, big movie movie star. And he's good in some things and not so good in others. That's what I'll say. Yeah, no, definitely. You know. Um. Yeah, there was a, a, a million of the knockoffs of that. It, but it, there was a lot of original stuff going on in, in the 90s, it seems like. Yeah. One of Brad Pitt's all-time worst roles is uh, California. Yeah, that's an awful movie. I can't even watch that fucking movie. I, one night, I remember I was like, oh, California. It came up on like Netflix. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't like this movie when I saw it the first time. But I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe you know, nostalgia or whatever. Yo, I couldn't. I lasted about fifteen minutes, and I was like, "It's even worse now because now it's dated." It's even worse now. Yeah, exactly for that Um, reason. Yeah, uh, have you ever seen? He was in a movie where he played an uh, an Irish uh, IRA guy or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I forgot the name of that movie, but it was fucking terrible, though. Dude, his accent was like he was on an SNL sketch. It's so bad. Like, uh, nice try, Brad, but no. <laughs> I mean, I liked Snatch, you know? Yeah. And I yeah. didn't, I didn't not like, I didn't, I didn't dislike him in that, but I was like, my man has like the work on his accents, man. Yeah. I, I think when he's having fun with a role like that or 12 Monkeys and he's working with a good director, he's good. Like, he's really funny in Snatch and that's, that's his job to be funny in that. Um, so I think he like you know good director. You get a great you know you get a good Brad uh, Pitt performance like like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, no, th- that that's like he was like subtle. He's like understated, you know. I think he I think that's one of his best uh, pieces of acting, and he's like a supporting character in it too. I agree. It's it's a great character, and he really really brings it to life. Like I can't picture anyone else playing that part. Did you see Ad Astra? I did. I loved it. He was great in that too. Yeah, it's basically apocalypse now in space. <laughs> Pretty much. What's not? What's not to love? Yeah. No, that that's a good point, man. That's that's. I really enjoyed that movie. You know, I thought it was. I great. did too. I, I I loved it, and I made. I think it was made my top five of that year. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. All right. We, we should talk about that at some point, maybe. Yeah, yeah, we should. Yeah. That, that, that's horror adjacent. Yeah, horror adjacent. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, All thanks. Right. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, if you're still there, that is. <laughs> so, uh, um, we'll talk to you next week, man. Take care. Bye, everyone. Burn so bright It's love's delight Oh Once upon a time we danced once upon a time we took a chance and fell in love. Once upon a time. Oh, I wish to know